This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon as Martha and I broadcast you from all over the world. We're all over the world. Every bit of us is. We've got <laughs> little pieces of us scattered here and scattered there. And okay, we broadcast you out of Tampa Bay today, but we broadcast you all over the world. Yes. We're not all over the world today, but Martha decided to call me out on that as I'm introing the show. <laughs> but that's okay, honey. I love you and it's okay. All right. So listen, Martha and I would love for you to engage with us. We'd love to hear from, I, here's, I got this idea and we're going to go we're live while we're talking about this, okay. Martha. We've got all these new listeners. You should. You should. We've got all these new listeners in coastal Virginia, in in the cities of Norfolk, Chesapeake, Virginia Beach. We would love to hear from you. If you contact us today on the I Work For Him listener line, we will send you some pocket testaments that are I Work For Him customized pocket testaments. What do you think about that? Well, they may not even know what that is, Jim. So they don't know whether they're to be excited about that or not. But let's just put it this way. It is something that we believe is very, very precious and something that can really make an an impact for the kingdom. And you can go back and listen to, um, when was that show? A week ago, Friday, the 18th of um, January, where we actually talked about the pocket testaments. But yes, they could call our listener line. I love that idea. 866-713-9675. 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. And if you call the listener line, we're opening this up to the Coastal Virginia audience. But if you in Tampa Bay or you in the First Coast area, Jacksonville, for uh, St. Augustine and folks in Georgia, you want pocket testaments too, just call in and we will pick one person from those other areas, but everybody from Coastal Virginia. And I understand the show replays. Uh, in coastal Virginia at 10 o'clock at night. So we just want to know who's out there and listening. Please contact us 866-713-9675. And we're going to give you a really cool gift. And you're not going to disrupt Jim's beauty sleep because this isn't a calling service that you will call into with a voicemail. So leave us your contact information. Please make sure that you're clear on your name, your mailing address, email, um, and you got a minute to leave it. So you got a minute to win it. Minute to win it. That's a great thing. That was a great game show. It was. That was fun. And we played that one time. We did. I didn't enjoy that, though. I don't enjoy playing game shows, but I enjoy... Oh, I thought it was so much fun. No, I enjoy playing game shows. I don't enjoy being on game shows. Anyway, we are so happy that you've tuned in today, and we just hope that um, today can be an inspiration to you and an encouragement for you as you go throughout your day or you... um, Learn something new, maybe, that um, you can apply in your work life. So a, a couple of weeks ago, Martha and I got a chance to go and talk with the Christian Chamber of Commerce Tampa Bay, uh, an organization that we helped found back in 2013, the same year that I work for him went on the air. And I just shared from my heart, what does it really look like to be obedient in your workplace? What does it really, what does that look like? And what are the costs of living out that obedience in your workplace? Now, in my speech, I called it the marketplace, but there are many of you that still struggle with that. Even though you operate in the marketplace of ideas, you operate in the marketplace because everything that's outside of the church is the marketplace. But those of you in the healthcare professions and teaching government, you think, well, we're not really part of the marketplace. So we say workplace all the time. But if we happen to say marketplace today, instead of workplace, we're still talking to you. This is still for you. We're, we're talking about 
work. Uh, and we really, I, I just think it's important for us all to hear. These are the things that we learned. These are the true costs of following Jesus in your work. It may not be exclusive. Oh, it's not a, probably not an all, <laughs> it's probably not an all complete list, but no. these are seven of the costs that I've identified that we've identified. Cause it's good to have seven points. I, <laughs> just... I'm not a Baptist preacher, so I'm, I'm allowed to have more than more than three, more than three. I never Excellent. went to seminary, so I didn't get taught that it was illegal to have more than three. It's not illegal. We lo- would love to hear from you. So give us a call and get some, a set of pocket testaments that will really enable you to share your faith more effectively and get the word of God into people's hands in a really easy fashion. 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK, which you could also contact us on the website, iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com. All right. Let's let's get to this. So let me just see my opening monologue. As as now uh, TV people have gotten to this where they get to do an opening monologue. That's kind of like we call it the gym jaunt that I open with every day. So what does it take to stand out with your faith in the marketplace, in your workplace? Is it trustworthiness, responsibility, respect, caring, diligence, integrity, fairness? You know, if we demonstrate those things, will people know that Jesus is the power behind our actions? Is it enough to be an ethical and hardworking owner, employee, or boss, or does Jesus ask us to demonstrate something different, something more, something so antithetical to what the world has to offer, it'll knock people's socks off? And since it's cold everywhere in the country right now, that would get their attention. I believe there should be a cost to following Jesus in our work, in our lives. He said it himself. If that's true, what are some of those costs? Today, Martha and I are going to talk about, we're going to highlight seven of those costs that we've identified of being a Jesus follower in the workplaces of America. I don't believe it's, I don't believe it's enough to be a good person. If you're a Jesus follower, you're called to a radical lifestyle. So we just would like to welcome you to I Work For Him and the conversation on the seven costs of really following Jesus in your work. You know, Martha, we opened up hundreds of shows quoting Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way we think. Yet so many of us get caught up in copying the behavior and customs of this world. If we don't stand out, how is the world ever going to know that Jesus has radically impacted our lives? Well, you know, there's, um, you know me, I'm going to take a, an interesting I approach here. Yeah, you know 36 me. years. Long time. So, but we don't want to just stand out because there are, there is danger in just standing out for the sake of standing out, of being different, of trying to um, cause waves or create a tension. But the kind of standing out we're talking about is where you, we're not conforming, we're not giving in, we're not... Um, copying, as the scripture says, the behavior of what's going on around us. But whose whose behavior are we copying? We're copying on Jesus Christ. And so that's really what the conversation is about today is what does that look like? And how is it different than just being a good person? You know, I did a Google search uh, when I was preparing to do this speech a couple of weeks ago. And, and I just, I just had this feeling because <clears throat> when I look at my life, Martha, prior to really being introduced to the book Halftime, prior to uh, being introduced to Oz Hillman's Today God is First Daily Devotionals, mm-hmm. I really believe that we operated under the good guy standard. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to be good 
do good work in our business, in our insurance agency, our used car dealership. Uh, we wanted to do be good. And, and I thought, you know what? It wasn't it wasn't good enough because all I all we did and we operated in Minnesota where people are pretty much honest people of integrity for the most part. You know, when you shake hands on a deal, you mean you got a deal. Well, people refer to Minnesotans as Minnesota nice. Right. If you've ever heard that before, because Minnesotans are nice. They are. I mean, there's not that there's not nice people other places, but it's just it's, it's very part, typical. It's the culture. Yes. But being a good guy doesn't mean you're a Jesus follower. And being a good guy, I believe, doesn't really radically stand out enough to say that that's what how Jesus defines us. And so I did a, a search on what were the school teaching character standards in 1920. So I'm thinking, what were they? Because he used to teach character in school. So what were those standards? And here's what they here's what they they typed up as a list. The list they taught kids trustworthiness, responsibility, respect, caring diligence, integrity, fairness, courage, citizenship. Those are things that, you know, if you ask a Christ follower, what what defines you, what sets you apart from the world, most people would list that list. Hmm. Yet, they might not list citizenship, but that's because they were teaching those things 100 years ago in school. I just, it is my premise that that's the good guy standard. That's not the Jesus follower standard. And, and that being a good guy does not display the power that Jesus has radically impacted your life. So you're saying these things plus a whole lot more. I'm saying these in a things. Sense, I mean, we want to be good people. These things should naturally flow out of us. Sure. Not because we're a Jesus follower, but because we're a human being. Mm-hmm. When we're a Jesus follower, these things should get taken to a whole nother level, which why don't we talk about that in the next segment? I think that sounds great. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg, as we're talking about the costs of being obedient and following Jesus in your work. Now, right before the break, we went through this list. These are, you know, if you, typically, if you, if you pull people, Martha, and say, what are some of the things that separate you, that's, that make you stand apart in your work mm-hmm. as a Jesus follower. A lot of people say, well, I'm trustworthy. I'm responsible. I, I show respect. I'm caring. I'm diligent. I operate with integrity. I'm fair. Uh, and, and those are things that people list. And so as I thought through that, those are the lists that I would have put up, you mm-hmm. know, 20 years ago before I really understood that God wanted to impact my work. And then I realized I know a lot of good people, quote unquote, good people that that's how they operate. But their lives haven't been radically impacted by Jesus. So what does it really look like? What are, what does obedience really look like? Is that it? Are we just supposed to be good people? Do you think that's enough? Well, you know, so that's an interesting question. And actually, I would like to address that. Why do we want to be obedient? Why is that? Because we need to really understand that we need to act out what Jesus um, how his example was in the scriptures. What do you mean? Why do we want to be obedient? Or we're say we're, if we're going to be a Jesus follower, we have to be obedient. That's the deal. He's our Lord. There you go. I was just, you know, throwing it out there. You're, you were saying, you know, what does it cost to be obedient? Well, shoot. Why do I want to sign up for something that costs something? <laughs> Jesus said that we would die for our faith, that yeah. we would suffer for our faith. I mean, it's there is a cost to following Jesus. And if you don't know, watch the news one day and find out the, you know, what it costs to follow Jesus 
blatantly mm. and boldly in your work. There are people or in your politics or in your church or in your neighborhood, in your community, as you're walking in Washington, D.C., whatever it may be, people are under attack for just following Jesus. They are. And and anything worth um, the, the amazing forgiveness that we've been given uh, comes with, um, you know, a very high standard. And Jesus has set that for us. And so that's the, what the conversation that I'm looking forward to having today, because, you know, we don't want to just be, oh, they're good people. Right. But be set apart and because have something different. Good people doesn't point to Jesus. And I, and I want to be clear that we're not standing in judgment of anybody. This is no. a, this is something that we've worked through. But I And be- are working, continuing to work nope, through. Got it figured out. I got it perfectly figured out. <laughs> As of today. If you listen no. to this show all the time, you know I have it perfectly figured out. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. I love you. Please forgive me. Okay. All right. So, but here's the here's the point. Here's here's my premise. I believe that Christians are the problem in this country. Mm. But I believe that Jesus followers are the solution to this country. There are so many people that call themselves Christians, yet their lives display good guy features. But as Jesus followers, our radical lifestyle, our radical behavior should point to something that everybody's craving. And if we as Jesus followers would be living out our faith no matter where we go, just like they did in the early church. Our country can be radically transformed by the power of Jesus living out in us, just like the early church radically transformed the Roman Empire. You know, I think so many of us struggle with that because we just don't understand the power that our God has and that we limit it. We think, oh, I can't make a difference. There's nothing I can do or nothing I could say or any influence that I could give that would really make that big of an impact. Well, we don't live in power. We don't walk in power. Most Christ followers never even, don't even know that there's power to be available. They've been told that power doesn't even exist anymore. That was for the early church. And that's not true. It's not true because the same God was, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the God that was alive 2000 years ago and empowering the church, the Holy Spirit that was empowering the church 2000 years ago is still alive and well today. It doesn't say anywhere. Jesus doesn't say anywhere. By the way, these gifts will wear out after I'm gone. They'll wear out. No, no, he doesn't say that. That, That's nothing true. So what we're about to go through is a list of things that for some of you, you're going to go, that makes sense. And for some of you, it could possibly irritate you, but it all goes back to don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Too many of us filter the way we think through the world's filter. We need to filter the way we think through the Jesus filter, through the scripture filter, which is where we learn about Jesus. And let's talk about that for a minute because nah, we're on we, radio, we, can't talk about this. we don't sometimes even realize how um, we've been impacted or um, that we've been um, starting to copy the behaviors because it's just so subtle. And so you, like you said, we need to know the scriptures. We need to know what it says so that we have a true um, litmus test to put ourselves up against. That's not TV and Netflix and Facebook and, you know, all of those things where we're, we're with all of a sudden we start to think we need to be like that. So many Christ followers are run into 
have never read the Bible mm-hmm. from cover to cover to understand who God really is. They've never read the New Testament from one from the beginning to the end uh, to understand the new covenant that we operate under. They, they, they're not familiar with the Gospels, the acts of Jesus. They're not familiar with the words that he said. As Jesus followers, that's where the radical transformation takes place when we start to see and learn and hear who our God really is, who our Savior really is. And that's where we've got these ideas, these costs, the seven costs of following Jesus in your work. Yeah. So let's just, um, it can be overwhelming when you think about, well, I've never read the whole Bible cover to cover, but we want to make it really simple. And that's why we have the pocket Testaments, Jim, start with the book of John. Absolutely. Just learn who Jesus says he is. All right. We really need to get in this list. We're going to run out of time. Okay. Get going. All right. But they can call our listener line. That's where I was going with that. 866-713-9675. You can call that number and uh, leave us your information and we will connect up with you and we will give away some copies of the Pocket Testaments today. All right. And the rest of the show, we're going to focus on the costs of following Jesus in your work. Cost number one. And I got all of this information out of the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew's chapters five to chapter seven. I do jump into John at the end, but it's... This is, this is important stuff for us to recognize. This is important stuff for, for us to know that this is what Jesus said. These mm-hmm. are the costs of following him. Okay. Number one, cost number one, we need, we have to give up. These are, these are things that we're talking about changing the way we think. We have to give up wrong thoughts. What do you mean by that? Wrong thoughts. All right. You know, we, so often you know, Jesus called out the Pharisees saying, hey, you're whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but inside you're a mess. What is that inside stuff? It's our thought life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't interested in religious folks who looked good on the outside. He wanted born again, sold out folks and how do I know? Because then Jesus goes on to say, you know, you've heard it said that our, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, murder, you're subject to judgment. But Jesus went on to say, but if I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. That's radical thinking. Hmm. Jesus is saying we shouldn't be defined by anger. Where does anger happen? In our minds. Nobody knows whether we're angry or not unless we act out on it. But he's saying our thoughts get us in trouble. And he also goes on to say, you've heard that the commandment says you must not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who even looks at a woman or a man with lust, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's radical thing. We have to give up wrong thoughts. Jesus was getting at the heart of the matter, not our actions, but our thoughts. So we have to give up wrong thoughts. That's a cost because we have to, we have to go to, a second Corinthians 10, five and take those thoughts captive and throw them out. You know, and a lot of us, we hold on to those thoughts. We, we want, we don't want to let go of them because we find comfort in, in, you know, not having to actually deal with what caused them maybe, or whatever it might be. But, you know, I think a lot of us giving up those wrong thoughts is a hard first step because we, why should I have to give that up? They hurt me. Yeah. Feel, vengeance feels good for yeah. a while. But it's ugly. It is ugly. So we have to give up wrong thoughts. No more fighting with imaginary people in your head. Those are wrong thoughts. So the first cost, give up wrong thoughts. Cost number two, you have to give up your double life. Consistency in our walk every day 
has to be the hallmark of our lives. When people look at us, they should, when they run into us at work or run into us in the neighborhood or run into us in the grocery store, or run into us at the gas station, we should be who we are. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Our lives and our behavior should be consistent everywhere. Too often, I was accused as a young Christ follower in my work. Jim, you're... why? You know, I was a different guy at work than I was outside of work. You know, it goes back to Romans 12, too, and not copying the behaviors of this world. We think it's okay. Whatever happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. Whatever happened at Grandma's stays at Grandma's. Those are those are double lives. We need to give that up. You know, and it's, um, I want to encourage our listeners as they're listening that this can be a motivational conversation. It doesn't need to be a downer. Because we're talking about the costs and, oh, I want to sign up for those costs. But you know what? The freedom that comes from giving up these things, Jim, um, is amazing. But we did sign up for these costs. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we surrender to his lordship and that radical transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so our lives should be defined not by who we are, but by who he is. And and, But that's what I was saying. The freedom that comes from these costs is far outweighs uh, what our freedom. what our mental freedom. going, no way, I don't want to sign up for something that's going to cost me. Well, guess what? When you go to the gym and you start working out, it costs you. Your muscles get sore. You, you take the time to do that. But the benefit, you know, it's the same thing, but at way bigger scale. Well, and, and, and <laughs> I don't want to equate I'm, the two. I'm glad you pointed to the freedom because that was the point of the law in the Old Testament is that if people obeyed the law, they would have actually had more freedom than fighting the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law and to give us freedom. He said in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's some of the stuff we just talked about in the last segment, those wrong thoughts, that stealing and killing and destroying. But Jesus came that we should have life and live it to the fullest. That's the freedom. But that freedom means giving up what the world thinks is important and recognizing what Jesus said is necessary to be a follower of his. The whole part about changing the way you think. A great analogy, and I know you want to keep going on the list, is parenting. We give our kids rules that actually give them freedom. You know, we let them as little toddlers get out of the playpen and roam when we've taught them you don't touch those pretty things that could hurt you that is it's hot or it's yeah, people are going electric. playpen i know what's a yeah, playpen they know they know people don't use playpens all, all the millennials know because they used to live in them no so you think about it though we created things that there was a cost there was a rule that gave our kids freedom as long as they understood what those costs were they actually had more freedom to be in the house all right so cost number one is that we had to give up wrong thoughts yep cost number two is we had to give up our double life our lives should be who we are no matter where we are all day long cost number three we have to give up unforgiveness we must give up the bitterness that destroys us. i can't tell you how many times i've run across people just like me who have struggled with forgiveness we hold on to this we don't want to forgive those who have wronged us we don't want to forgive those who have lashed out against us and and, but as jesus followers we don't have a choice we are we are called to 
to forgive. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 5, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even tax, corrupt tax collectors and politicians do that. I added the politicians part. <laughs> if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even people who are unbelievers do that. But you are perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And he goes on to say, right after he teaches, where as part of teaching the Lord's Prayer, the last sentence right after the Lord's Prayer says in Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We don't have a choice. But how many of our lives are defined by unforgiveness? How many of you can list, say a name, and immediately feel angst and anxiety? As Jesus followers, I believe we should be defined by by forgiveness, so therefore we need to give up unforgiveness. It is a cost of following Jesus. And and for a lot of us, that's a tough one because we very selfishly want to hold on to that because somehow that makes us feel better or it makes us think that we are better than someone else, whatever that, you know, the circumstance leads you to believe. And we've studied this as marriage mentors for years. People who are who are bitter keep and angry at other people think that by being bitter to angry, you're hurting them. But really, it's like drinking poison every day. Yeah, it hurts yourself. So those are really good words to give up unforgiveness. because it, It's a cost. So that verse really struck me, Jim, when you just read that about Matthew 5, 44 through um, 48. And the whole concept that, you know, if I have a garden... Not just my garden gets rain, everybody's garden around me gets rain, whether they're nice people or not, whether they stole the seeds that they planted or not, you know, God sent the rain for that area. So I'm not any more special than anybody else. So just realizing that that forgiveness he gave to everybody as well. Well, he offers it to everybody. We have to, it. we have to accept yes. it. It's, a, it's a free gift. But I think what's also important is another concept that is really important for Christ followers to understand is this, that as Jesus followers, Jesus living in us, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the power of God living in us is there not just for our benefit. If we are living out who Jesus is inside of us, everybody around us should be benefiting whether they're Jesus believers or not. They should be benefiting from our behavior, from our actions. That's how it. That's how the early church transformed the Roman Empire. Those people were living out Jesus every day to everybody around them because they've been radically transformed by the power of God, and they had the Holy Spirit living in them, teaching them and guiding them and counseling them on what behavior it looked like. I mean, it was people were benefit. The Roman Empire benefited from the behavior of Christ followers so much that. The emperor Constantine said, everybody should be a Jesus follower. And so let's apply that to the workplace. What does it look like um, when, if I'm, I am counting these costs and for the kingdom in my work, say I'm giving up unforgiveness, you know, my workplace should flourish. It should be a better place to work because I've let go of somebody next to me who wronged me 
Um, but I can't, you know, I can't change their heart. I can only change mine. Right. And that's, that's part of the whole, I work for him nation thing. You got to start praying for the people that you work alongside, especially those that persecute you or, or that you have a damaged relationship with. Well, in fact, why don't we move on to cost number four? Okay. Cause we have to give up damaged relationships, conflict resolution and reconciliation in your relationships as a Jesus follower is not only expected, it is a non, it, it, well, what was I going to try to say? I mean, it's, it just, it should flow right out of us. It's not an optional behavior. We don't have the option to leave damaged relationships. So Matthew 5, 23 says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And, and I, I remember when I was speaking, I said this. I said, that's just when you're sitting there doing your morning devotions and you're going through your prayer list and you're reading your Bible and God reminds you of a damaged relationship that you have. That is when you should stop and start praying for an opportunity to fix that relationship and do something about that damaged relationship. Um, it is, we don't have... As Christ followers out there in our workplace, we don't have the option for damaged relationships. We have to do whatever we can to try to repair them. Now, it takes two to tango, so you can forgive and offer up forgiveness, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to respond to that. But we don't have the option to avoid people that we have wrecked relationships with. We have to face them. You know, so a great example in the workplace is say you and a coworker both apply for a promotion together and um, maybe they they get a little nasty about, you know, the competition or something like that. And it really hurts the relation, the coworker relationship. We got to work that out. This That's what this is saying. Let let go of that um, damaged relationship and and try to mend it. So cost number four was we have to give up damaged relationships. Just for those, in case some of you are turning in just right now, Martha and I are talking about the seven costs that we've uncovered of following Jesus in our work. We have to give up wrong thoughts. We have to give up our double life. We have to give up unforgiveness. We have to give up damaged relationships. And number five, we have to give up hoarding earthly treasure. What's amazing to me as Christ followers is Again, we have to stop copying the behavior and customs of this world and let God transform us in, into new people by changing the way we think. Yet so many of us are worried about stuff. And this whole idea that God blesses us not to increase our status of living, but to increase our status of giving. And so often we get caught up in our houses, our clothes, our cars, our whatever it may be. But God is giving you more so that you can share. But so many of us do not live that generous life. I believe we're called to generosity because our Savior demonstrated the ultimate generosity. He gave up his life. And my challenge is don't tell me that you give 10% because 10%, it's a heart shaper. Talk to me about the other 90. What do you do with that 90? How generous are you if you find out that somebody needs something that you have? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. 
because where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also, and your mind will be, and your checkbook will be, and you'll have to work two jobs to support it all. Mm. Nope. Jim added that part. No one can serve two masters for you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and also be enslaved to money. The generous spirit should flow absolutely out of every Christ follower listening. But so often we handicap our ability to be generous, Martha, because we, we surround ourselves with debt, buying stuff we don't need so we can have a storage unit to store it in. How do you feel very strongly about that, right? I, we just read that statistic <laughs> no, that there's 50,000 storage unit complexes in this country full of people's junk that they never even use, but they're paying monthly to store it. It said there were more storage facilities in America than Starbucks, McDonald's, and Subway restaurants combined. That is phenomenal. And they're full of junk that you could give away. Give your, if you, you wouldn't even miss it. it if you, that's right. You won't even miss it. Martha and I started something early on in our marriage. If we don't use it in a year, we give it away. Why? So then you can give it away at a time when somebody can still use it when it's not out of style. All right. too worn out. All right. We're talking about the seven costs of really following Jesus in your work. And we've gone through the first five. And so if you're just tuning in now, I'm grateful that you're tuning in. We're grateful that you're tuning in. Mm-hmm. But we want you to go back and listen to the podcast because these are the things as Jesus followers that are costs. The cost of following Jesus in your work, it is not good enough to be a good person in your work. That is not enough to point to Jesus. These are the things that draw attention to Jesus' work in our lives. Giving up wrong thoughts, giving up a double life where we were one, one person at work and a different person at night or in church, giving up unforgiveness. That is a cost. We don't have the option to hoard unforgiveness. We need to give up damaged relationships. We need to give up hoarding earthly treasure and be generous people. The sixth cost, Martha, is we have to give up worry. Because when we worry, we doubt the very power of God. Jesus said, he had a lot to say about this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six twenty five. he says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink and enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. And not that there's birds anywhere else, but they, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory, and with his trillions of dollars in gold, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Jesus goes on to say, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So a cost, Martha, we have to give up worry. Jesus followers should not be defined about worry. They should not be worrying about anything because God knows what we need. You know, and when you first mentioned that cost, I thought, oh my goodness, who wouldn't want to give up worrying? But that's one of those things that we 
give up and take back, give up and take back. We think we've let go and then we worry some more. We lay in bed at night and we lose sleep over things. And it very specifically said there in scripture, don't worry about these things that that's what unbelievers do, but our heavenly father already knows what we need. And boy, is that hard for us to, um, every day let go of those worries because we, it's boy, it must be somewhat of a coping mechanism. I'm not sure. I'm not a psychologist, but I think we all don't even realize how much we worry, but yeah, we'd like to give it up. We do. And, but that goes back to that second Corinthians 10, five, where we need to hold captive those thoughts. We need to set them aside. When we start to worry, remember, oh, God knows exactly what I need. He knows exactly what, what it's going to take to get us where we need to go. And we don't need to worry. Now it also means we need to be obeying those other things. We, we not hoarding earthly wealth. A lot of us have worry because we've spent too much money on things we didn't need and created debt, which causes extra stress that we didn't need in the first place by buying those things. You know, so let's apply that to the workplace. If I am getting ready for my performance review and I'm worrying about it, at that point, there's nothing I can do. I've spent, in most cases, people get in performance reviews every year, um, sometimes more often. But that period of time since the last review, if I've done the things that I was set up to do and I've done them well, and I've you know kind of given up a lot of these other areas that we've talked about, Jim, then I shouldn't be worrying about what's going to be said to me in that performance review, don't you think? Well, and also a lot of times we're worrying about it because we want the raise because we know <laughs> because we've spent more money, we've already spent the raise and so we we need to get the raise when in fact yeah, maybe God, the raise isn't for you. Maybe that raise is so that you can give more money away. It goes back to that being generous. I mean, Jesus followers should be defined by things that make the world go, "What?" That's crazy. And you're like, no, that's Jesus. Hmm. Because following Jesus doesn't make sense, but it makes every sense. I mean, the world thinks that following Jesus is crazy, but what Jesus offers is so much more valuable than what the world has to offer. All right, the last cost, Martha, in these last five minutes, we have to give up hurry. Hurry up, Jim. We got to get to this one. I thought that would be funny. I guess you didn't respond very well. (laughs) No, I responded perfectly. You deserve that. Be busy, but never be in a hurry. The problem is too many Jesus followers are so busy. They're so, so much in, excuse me. There's so many Jesus followers, so much in a hurry all the time. We miss the people God puts in front of us. We miss opportunities to serve others while we're driving or while we're selling, while we're networking, while we're, there's hurting people everywhere. And we're supposed to be there for him, but because we're in a hurry going from this soccer practice to that basketball practice to that dance recital to that piano recital to this great church activity that we miss the people that we live alongside who need to meet Jesus. It's okay to be busy. Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. Jesus's brother James wrote this in James 2. 14. Now, understand, Jesus's brother James was a half brother. And we didn't understand. So, James grew up in a household where Jesus claimed to be God, and a lot of us had older brothers that acted like that, but Jesus really was. But James ended up being a a, a major power player, selfless power player in the early church. Jesus' brother James wrote this in James 2.14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? 
Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing, but you're too too much in a hurry. And so you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. And then you take off. You don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Martha, so Mm -hmm. often we have been guilty of being in a hurry and missing the people that we should, you know, it's, it's just so easy to do. So I think about the times, have you ever met that person where maybe you had a business meeting with them and you accomplished the things you needed to talk about, but they lingered and they were there to um, just check on you, see how you were doing, make sure, you know, not in a, not like, okay, we're done. Got this task accomplished and on to the next thing. What an impact those people have. And being very purposeful and taking even 30 seconds to just be like, you know, that was just a really great meeting. And I really appreciated your insight on that today, Jim. And Well, and that's a whole other point of the I Work Remination, Martha, where we say, look for opportunities to pray with people. Because a lot of times if we say, hey, how you doing today? Or, you know, what's up or whatever. And people say, well, I'm fine. How you doing? Fine. Mm-hmm. So you say, really, are you fine? Stop and wait for that answer. And when somebody shares what's really going on in their lives, you can say, hey, can we pray about that? Can I pray about that with you right now? But often we're so much in a hurry, we don't have time to even pray. And so there's such a danger in all of that. But now you may be saying, okay, Jim, this list is staggering. It's overwhelming. How could I possibly deal with all these costs of following Jesus in my workplace? And so those costs, again, giving up wrong thoughts. Because Jesus called, to a high, called us to a high, higher standard, not just wrong actions, but wrong thoughts. We have to give up a double life. Our lives should be consistent no matter where we are, living out our faith in Jesus. We have to give up unforgiveness. We have to give up damaged relationships. We have to give up hoarding earthly treasure and be generous people. We need to give up worry, and we need to give up hurry. But how in the world can we do all these things, Martha? Good question. Jesus said, I, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. But in the meantime, I'm going to send the counselor to you, the Holy Spirit. And if I didn't go, he couldn't come. And he's going to allow you to do things greater than me. Do the things that I've done, and even greater, I believe is what he said. That's the English translation. Well, so these things are impossible on our own, but... They're not impossible with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Our lives should be defined by the impossible, but possible through the Holy Spirit. And that's how this all happens. This all happens because of the Holy Spirit living in us. It really does. And I love the the translation where it, it refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate, because he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And so we have that. We have an advocate on our behalf. Holy Spirit, who can come alongside of us, help us to make decisions and to give up some of these costs that we've talked about. I just think it's important we understand Romans 12 too. It calls us to a higher standard of living. Don't copy. It didn't say, well, think about not copying. It said, Paul says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. We have to let him into a new person by changing the way we think. Our lives should be defined by radical ideas that the world thinks are crazy and that's what it means to follow jesus and and if we started living that way if we started giving up these things we've talked about today our workplace would be transformed martha it would be unbelievable amen love it 
So make sure you check out the broadcast. If you've missed some of these points today and you've missed our discussion, we really want to challenge you as we're challenging ourselves. We need to give up. There are seven costs of following Jesus in, a, in the, our work, but they're going to radically transform us and those around us. You've been listening to I Work Frame with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace is our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.